Hey guys, this is Rob Morgan and welcome to question number six. What makes someone an influencer? My conversation with Ian Allison at the Bad Waitress in Uptown, Minneapolis. Okay, not Uptown. The Whittier neighborhood, if you're gonna get technical. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. Owner rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I am so pumped about this conversation and this podcast, this episode, this question that I want to get right to it. It's a little bit longer one, but I ended up talking with Ian about so many awesome things that I just could not get myself to cut a lot of it out to uh, keep it short in the time frame that I like to keep these in. So we're going to get right to it. But first of all, I want to say a massive, massive thank you to you guys Anybody that has listened, subscribed, rated, or commented, uh, apparently this podcast in the first couple weeks hit number 26 on the iTunes music podcast charts. And to celebrate, if you didn't happen to listen to last week's question number five, uh, I've partnered with Bittercube to do the biggest giveaway I can possibly do right now, and that's this. If you head over to iTunes and you rate and comment, leave me a question or leave a comment or the weirdest comment you can possibly think of. Leave it right there in iTunes comments. Each week, the best one, well, if I say I'm going to read the best one, I need to read the best one. So let me pull up one right now. Um, this week's top comment is by Topher Rocks. Uh, says, fantastic. I've had the opportunity to play music and do life with Rob. He's as tall as he is, handsome, and he's a killer musician. Okay, this is just talking about me. So <laughs> it just seems weird to keep reading this out loud. But Topher rocks. You rule. Thank you for your comments. And to everyone else, here's the deal. I'm doing a Bitter Cube giveaway, and that's this. If you rate and comment this podcast on iTunes, I'm giving away 12 bitters from bitter cube free leave a funny comment and a five-star rating and you could be in the drawing over the next couple weeks we're giving away 12 different bitters if you're curious about that a little bit more go ahead and listen to last week's question number five with nick kosovic moving on this week ian allison it's hard to define ian most people know Ian as a bassist. He's a touring and session monster. I know Ian as a mentor. When I moved uh, to Minneapolis in 2004 to study music, I studied under Ian. And he became more than uh, just a bass instructor for me. He became a mentor. I feel like if... I can't think of a, any kind of question that I couldn't bring to Ian to get advice on. I really look up to this guy, and I felt like sitting down with him... And recording the conversation, I felt like it would bring value to not just musicians, um, but anybody that listens to it. And if you stick around after the interview, the conversation 
I'm going to play a complete track in full that Ian recorded on for you to check out and listen to. So here you go, my conversation with Ian Allison at The Bad Waitress. I mean, I w- you know, I'm not always that way and not with everything. I certainly, like, have have the deal, too, where, like, if everyone jumps on the bandwagon, I want, then wonder, hmm, oh, I don't know if this is, like, yeah. I don't know if this is the thing yeah. that I want to be associated with anymore. I, I really struggled with that with bands growing up. Like, okay. Radiohead. And, and it's, so, it's so terrible because Radiohead is a lovely, wonderful, creative, amazing band. And everyone was like, oh, Radiohead, Radiohead. And the guys that were saying Radiohead, Radiohead, I didn't like those guys, <laughs> man. Yes. I was like, no, not in. And then later... I get in and I'm like, well, I've been missing this what for have I so long. For years. God. Just the worst. Uh-huh. So I, I, I've been trying to not do that too. Mm-hmm. That if people say, hey, check this out. If enough people in my life say, check this out, I try to check it out. No matter what my dumb, like, preconceived notion may be about it. Oh, another, and this is embarrassing to admit, case in point, uh, Wolfpack. You know that mm. band Wolfpack? Yes, only recently. People would say to me, Wolfpack, and I'd say, Wolfpack, which is the, you know, no, 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 Wolfpack. And I'm like, Wolfpack? I'm never listening yes. to that band, ever. Yeah. Because the name what, are you makes trying me to prove? feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Have they been around for a while? Um, uh, uh, yeah. Because like they've only been on my radar for a couple months. No, they've been around for years, okay. for a few years. I don't totally know, but... They're fantastic. They're incredible. They're one of my new favorite bands, and I just had to get over my own cool guy crap and and dig in, you know? You know what's interesting about this whole uh, conversation is that I, you're such an influencer. Like, you do something, in whatever circles you're in, you do something, and then it influences other people to do that. You have a lot of, like, followers. If that makes sense. I don't know. Do you feel that way about yourself? Do you recognize that about yourself? I mean, sure. I, I guess I've seen that. I mean, in terms yeah. of maybe gear or... Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen a little bit of that. Okay. Because it goes into the same thing of like, yeah. dude, you should check this out. Um, it's funny because I feel like influencers are have just also been influenced. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for me, yes. there's, there's all mm-hmm. of this, you know... So there's some people that like take a look at Instagram and maybe you know buy that pedal or whatever, but for me it's the same deal. I mean yeah. I am I am so susceptible to influence on people I admire, and it's I feel like it's fine, but but on, if I'm honest, I, I feel like it's shortchanging your your creative voice a bit, and I I am just as guilty as anybody else of this mm. because I will chase things because I'm actually feeling something pulling me uh, from the, from someone's artistic perspective, right? So I see Justin Meldel Johnson using a certain fuzz pedal and I think, oh, I gotta have that. But it's not because of the fuzz pedal. It could be any fuzz pedal. But it's because of his artistry. He just artistry. randomly used that fuzz pedal yeah, that exactly. day and Dude, posted about it. Man, that is a great, that's a great point. And and maybe he didn't even use that one on the record that I'm thinking, who knows what it was? And maybe he doesn't remember. He's chasing 
the creativity he's chasing the inspiration and then just cobbles together tools mm-hmm. I'm assuming because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know him uh, to to make it happen and so I don't know the, the, when people have asked me before like hey dude what pedal did you use on that song I'm I'll always say like I'm perfectly happy to tell you I'll tell you and mm-hmm. I'll show you the setting and no problem yes but it's the wrong question and people say why why is it the wrong question I say because because it doesn't matter because the pedal doesn't matter it's the sound that you're hearing in your head that is going to inform the music that is going to get the creative thing out that's what matters and so you, a, a better question might be what influenced you to want to make that sound yes why did you want to have a sound that went what or what yes. <laughs> or whatever what made mm-hmm. you want to make that sound so what are you listening to that makes you want to make that sound what in your life why do you like sounds like that mm-hmm. yeah uh, I think those are better questions okay then like straight gear the questions specific gear yeah, yeah. man I I've realized that too. I guess I'm, the more, maybe the older I'm getting and the more I've, I'm chatting with people or learning stuff on my own, it is that half the time, I guess I used to think when it comes to gear, that people thought, oh man, this song, it needs the 1983 version of right. this, pet, whatever it is. Yep. But in reality, it's like you find yourself sitting in a room experimenting with a song, a sound yep. kind of in your head and you're just like messing around like, oh, that... You, half the time it's stumbled upon absolutely like I don't know maybe that's just me but half the time it's just mistakes right for me no, I don't, maybe totally. I just don't have that intentionality that some people do but you st- then you're trying to chase someone else's creative experience like yes. you're saying yeah and, and even if someone were to show you the exact way they used the thing um, it might give you an idea to cop their style but it won't well I don't know I want to be careful because because it's not that it won't help you find your sound, but it's but it's maybe not allowing you to be true to what you really feel is cool, and what you actually in your heart feel like is uh, exciting in your own aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think that like you know pedals, and guitars, and amplifiers become iconic because of the art that's made on them. Like, yes. on their own, separated from art, they're inanimate objects. Oh, dude, this is so good. <laughs> so good. And they're, yes. like, they're beautiful inanimate yes. objects. And you can look at them and think about, like, vintage guitars and vintage, you know, basses as, like, they're really, aesthetically, they're really beautiful. But, but in terms of, like, how they become part of culture and part of revered music canon mm-hmm. is the art that's made on them. Yes. And so so you have Kurt Cobain playing a Jaguar. And up until Kurt Cobain, there's going to be yeah. someone that says, no, 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 someone before Kurt. But, but I remember the Jaguar was deemed a crummy instrument or, or like not a professional mm-hmm. instrument. Yeah. Maybe a student instrument or maybe like a budget yes. instrument. Totally. And then Kurt Cobain played it. And, and it was sudden, the, that punk rock aesthetic of like, mm-hmm. who cares? I'm going to, and it had like a gnarly thing. And, and before Kurt Cobain, the like angular, like pointed sound of a Jaguar was deemed crappy. Yes. Like quote unquote 
you know, like bad yes. guitar tone. Yes. And then mm-hmm. post Kurt Cobain, it was considered it's, it's like, like what cool. you're going for. Yeah, yeah like it's cool probably. and signature <laughs> yes. and interesting. Yes. You know, and it, it didn't change because of the inanimate object. Yeah. It changed because of Kurt. You know, man, I feel the same way about acoustic amplifiers for bass. I mean, and acoustic and sun. Maybe mm-hmm, sure. I remember in high school those are the bases that or the bass amps that were like in someone's basement. It's like, well, we'll just leave this here because it's super cheap and we can like practice on it. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, right. and then now like Meldo Johnson used no. them on like Beck stuff, yep. and now it's like so sought out. I don't right. know if you've seen. I just like, oh they're for super sure sought after right yep. now, and I'm like, oh man, interesting, and for good reason. They sound amazing. Yep. But it's funny how that the wave of cool, the influencers kind of change that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. And the people they're not thinking about it. They're I not know. doing it. In, it's not intentionally. Yeah, I mean, I wonder about that sometimes. I think I think maybe I think you're probably right, and maybe they're chasing sound. But I think everyone also has. Uh, I don't know. Somebody like. JMJ, I feel like he has folks too that he looks to that he probably grabs from okay. too. I mean, he's enough of a gearhead. I, mean, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's immune to it. Um, but I bet he would say, <laughs> not to put words in his mouth, but I bet he would say on his best days in the studio is exactly what you said. The creativity comes from cobbling together something and it's an accident. Mm-hmm. Instead of oh, I've heard that this pedal does this thing really well or this instrument yeah. is, I bet the best thing is an, is an accident. Yeah. And then you get to say, wow, I did this track on this old amp or this crazy you know, Japanese bass from the 60s yeah. that no one's ever heard and of. And I'm pumped about it. And I'm pumped. And then everyone hits eBay immediately. Yes. And goes, okay, I got to find one the while they're still $300. Totally, yes, totally. because they're going to go, be a grand yeah. shortly. Yeah. Thank you. Ooh, thank you. Um, going back to Wolfpack for a minute, I Joe Dart is their bass player. And Joe Dart is phenomenal. What a he freak. is phenomenal. Yeah, yes. right? Is he from Minneapolis? I don't think uh, so. I, th- no. I thought, are they not a local band? Maybe I just started. They're not. So Corey so, Wong, who, yes. who's local, yeah. plays with them. Okay. But they're no, they're not a local band. I think they're California. Oh, okay. But I don't know where... Joe Dart is from. I think they went to Michigan. They went to a school in Michigan uh, okay. for music, and I think that's where a lot they of them met, met, but I, but actually I'm not sure. Um, but Joe Dart is a great example. I, I checked out an AMA that he did on Reddit, and people were asking him about his tone. And that dude has had a Japanese Fender Jazz bass. It was like the first one that he bought. Maybe yeah. in junior high, or I'm getting it. I'm getting the details wrong, but it's basically like his first bass that he's always had, and he just likes it. And yeah, there you man. go, you know. Yeah. And like, and then people are like, oh, I actually think that is a really cool thing. That so so he becomes because mm-hmm. of his monstrous like ability and concept and playing, and he's in this great band. Oh yes, right here. Thanks so much. Thank you. This looks amazing. Thank you. Oh, food. Oh. Um, 
because of his amazing ability yeah. is playing. Yeah. Then then he becomes like as you said one of one of those influencers. And then what's cool is he's doing it on gear that <laughs> is not like prestigious. Yeah. And and I think that that's good. I think that that's we need we need that because there are a lot of guys out there who chase and I'm a chaser too, man. I mean, I chase I love old instruments and so I've got a bunch of vintage instruments but you yeah. don't need that you don't need it mm-hmm. um, you only need it if it's satisfying to you and you enjoy it and you yeah know, but in terms of like playing obviously you just you just need concept and ability totally man you, and you've always been that way like in, in the sense of like you've been that the one balance of that where it's like you know, you've always said it's not it's not about this. Yeah. But you still have you still nerd out about it. I do. You still have that interest, you I know? do. I do have uh, an interest. And, and sometimes it's interesting, man. I sometimes I'm um, uncomfortable with that or like I about uncomfortable about, with what? about the gear thing or about like the equipment thing or the vintage base thing. I'm uncomfortable with it because I know it's not the thing. I know it's not what matters. I'm very aware of that, but I can't help get away from my passion for it and for like finding yes. the right combination of things that make me really happy and that make mm-hmm. me feel like I'm able to express mm-hmm. without a bunch of barriers. Um, totally. I don't know. So I'm always at odds with that. I always mm-hmm. want to downplay how much I really like um, amassing bass yes. guitars because I feel oh like I'm like oh <laughs> this is nerdy and it doesn't matter, and it's it's sort of counterproductive in a way. Like it's easy to jump on Reverb or eBay and buy stuff. It's harder to like dig into your practice regimen or your you know like the the next thing that you need to tackle. So yeah, man, I'm always. <laughs> I'm always struggling with that. Man, I love it. Um, and I can see the frustration being there as well because that's probably what a lot of people come to you and ask. I mean, I think playing is the same way. Uh, the, this gear conversation we're talking about is about is the same thing about with the flashy playing. If you want to get into that because it makes you pump, do it. Right. But that's not what it's all about. Right. It isn't what it's all about. I man. I go back and forth with this stuff a lot, but I will I will say this, when I was really young, my mom <laughs> was able to get me a lesson with this guy named Brian Bromberg, who is a bass player, like kind of like a smooth jazz guy okay. in LA, and a doubler, like a freaky talented doubler, so upright electric, monstrous. And I saw him at a jazz festival and really fell in love. I mean, I was like 15, and he, was doing all the flashy stuff that I was really drawn to at the time in a way that no one else was doing it, or at least no one else that I had seen mm-hmm. was doing it. I mean, he had incredible concept and incredible chops. And yeah. I mean, some people would say they, they didn't dig like his aesthetic or his taste, okay. but I, as a 15 year old getting into playing the bass and wanting to be kind of a technician at the time, I was so drawn and man, my mom called his manager and I got to sit with him. He took me into his hotel room in Moscow, Idaho, because that's where the Lionel Hampton School of Music yes, is. They does. would do this incredible jazz festival every summer. I mean, it was yeah. really remarkable. I got to see a lot of great 
jazz greats before they pass. I got to see Dizzy Gillespie and Elvin Jones yeah. and you know Herb yeah. Ellis and, and Brian Bromberg. I brought my I had a Yamaha Billy Sheehan Attitude oh, bass, which on. I still have. It was the first bass my my grandmother That's not actually the one with bought the carved it for me. Out yeah, it's got like scalloped frets. Yes. I brought that in. I was 15, like long hair, like wearing all black, you know, and like band t-shirts and stuff. And Brian said, "Play something for me." And I slapped something like like miserably, I'm sure, for him, you know. And I'm trying to impress him, which is thing that everyone does to their teacher in the beginning, you know. It's like everybody does that. Oh, for sure. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, that makes you feel a lot better. Yeah, everybody does it. And, and he said, hey, hey, he was so sweet and gracious to me. Man, I need to write him, actually. He, he said, like, I see you've got a lot of potential, um, and so you got to keep doing this. And that was so cool. And then he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do this thing that you do where you put one hand here, one hand here, and you tap, and you go cr- and you do this thing. Mm-hmm. I want that. And he said, um... Okay, well, well, do you know what this is? And he played like a chord voicing up high on the bass. And I said, no, I don't. And he's like, well, it's a, it's a seven chord. Do you, know, do you know how to make any of these? It's a dominant seven, a minor seven, a major mm-hmm. seven? I said, no, I, no, I don't. And he said, well, that's what we're going to do today. And I kind of like, I was sort of bummed out, you know, like, oh, oh I'm not going to. And he said, here's why. When I put my hand here and the other hand here, I'm making a chord. And so... That is what you need to know, and then you can apply any technique you want to it, but you need to know how the chords work. And so he, he took two hours and worked me through a few walking things and a few like chord exercises, two five ones and stuff, uh, yes. on the bass. And I remember at the end of it, like we came out of his hotel room and my mom was in the lobby and my mom, and you know, his manager had said something to my mom, like, you know, he's expensive, you know, like he charges a lot, which he, which he should, you know, that's great. But yeah. like, you know, be ready to pay him a lot of money or what, you know. <laughs> so my mom like had her Bring checkbook, checkbook. open, oh, you know, and like ready to roll. Just Beth hanging out in yeah, the hallway. Exactly, man. Yeah. yeah, Beth, just like so supportive of my deal and just ready to like throw down mm-hmm. the serious cheese yeah, <laughs> for this experience. Um, and I came out. And she said, oh, you know, thank you so much, Mr. Bromberg. What do I owe you? And he said, oh, it's, it was my pleasure. It's on me. You know, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. You know, like, I feel like he even said something like, thanks for letting me work with your son. Like, super, oh, super sweet. And And she, really? Yeah, really. No worries. It's my pleasure. You know, good luck and keep going. If you're ever yeah. in L.A., you know, let's study together. And, I, man. But the funny thing was at the time, then she said to me, how, how was that? Yeah. Okay. And I said... I said, oh, it was really good. It was great. Thanks, Mom. But I was lying because I didn't learn. I didn't get to learn the trick. You know, like, I didn't, I didn't, didn't get the thing. I didn't walk away with yeah, the Yeah, with, yes. And so what it did, I was really disappointing in the beginning. But over time, I've really thought a lot about that experience and thought that it really made me value some of those theoretical and educational tools. And, I mean, I've mm-hmm. used that same kind of process and teaching that I've done and you know to say like hold on slow down yes why are you doing yeah yeah Yeah. exactly let's take a look at it Mm -hmm. uh and and that was a lot of that was credited to Brian Bromberg I didn't know that yeah that whole story is like I just relate to that so much Mm -hmm. yeah because I feel like that's exactly what happened 
with us sitting down. Sure. Here's what it is for me. I the past year or two has been spent almost like coming to terms and like owning my past self. Like mm. all these things I'm like super embarrassed of. Mm. Yeah. With and I have a lot of that coming from like being at North Central mm -hmm. and that whole mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Now looking back, oh I was that kid who was asking this great like I would ask him so many other questions. But at the time, like that that excitement got you in the door. So I'm like learning to not be Absolutely. like I'm I don't want to push back because that excitement about someone yes. opens doors. Man, that's true. And that, that's why when I started to talk about this and the I, I'm like a little reluctant to be that like curmudgeonly voice of like <laughs> no, you know, you say like I was like never slap and tap in my classroom again. Like I hope I, but you know what? I did used to feel that way, but it was but because it's playful. It's yeah. totally But but I know that deal because it's because I'm reacting to my past self too. I was the same way, dude. Everybody that gets really passionate about music and about playing, I feel like goes through some kind of like chops phase where like. Yes. Where it's more like a sport, where like you are, you're gauged, your talent is gauged on how fast, how much, how many, how, you know. And then you have to go through that to come back to some semblance of taste. Like it, you have to. And so like embracing, yeah. embracing your past and like making light of it, but not, not demonizing it mm -hmm. and saying, oh, I can't believe... But, like, I will tell people straight up, like, I came up a prog rock kid, a metal kid, painted my fingernails, like, wore, like, band shirts. Like, yes. I was that. And I'm real. I'm proud of that. Like, it made me who I am. It, me it meant that I came to some very, like, culturally cool things very late. I came okay. to the Beatles late. I came to Motown late, you yeah. know? I came to you're, all that stuff late. Choir, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, you know, but that's okay. Because, but to say, like, to pretend that you yeah. didn't, that you ascertained mm -hmm. all this cool knowledge. I mean, man, I feel like a lot of dudes out there that are, like, they like just like the coolest stuff. They just like Springsteen, the Stones, and the Beatles all equally well. And they know all that. <laughs> they don't, they didn't, oh, they're, they're like, they're a Weird Al fan, man. They, they were like straight oh, yeah. up a huge Weird Al fan <laughs> totally talking dope. about, you know what I mean? Like singing like white and nerdy, but they're never going to admit it never. because yep. it's too cool for mm -hmm. school and they know what cool is. I, like, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe no. there are guys out there, man, that have just always been the coolest cucumbers, but... Man, and that okay, that's the reason, dude. That's the reason this podcast exists, hmm. mm -hmm. is because I want to sit down with people that either interest me or I really look up to, and talk about things just naturally and see what comes up. Sure. Because when you sit down like this, you talk about things like everything you're saying are things people don't. No one tweets about this. No right. one blog posts because <laughs> it's not necessarily the. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't legitimize you. It doesn't work towards mm. your brand, whatever mm. you're building. Mm -hmm. But like everybody has it. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about it though. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. No, or, you're right. Nobody talks about the Weird Al. Uh uh. I was a big Weird Al fan actually. If I'm being honest. <laughs> you and Gabe Hagen. Do you know that? <laughs> no. This is his first CD you ever bought. I mean, there's something to be said for not not feeling embarrassed by enthusiasm not curbing your enthusiasm mm. like 
and if you like, down. Yeah, well, like if you cool. like something and you're nerdy about something, not trying to push it down, but actually embracing it uh, with levity. I mean, you know, realizing that maybe it's not going to be everybody's bag and not talking about it with everyone you know and trying to get necessarily other people on the same page, but but being a proponent for the thing that brings you joy, no matter how nerdy that may be. Yeah. I feel like that's that's being true to yourself. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like that is, that helps you know yourself. It helps you with your authenticity. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. I think like digging into those things only helps you and only helps uh, you know where to go next, you know? Is there anything recently that you've had to come terms with your nerdiness outside of music? Not it. Oh man, come to terms with outside. I don't know, just all this whole thing you're thinking of just embracing your nerdiness of something, out, but outside of the music thing or gear. Um, I'm really, I'm really, really passionate about sushi. And if I could eat it professionally, I would never touch a base again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's like a cool guy thing. I get it. Like sushi, uh, everybody loves it. But, but now it's a cool guy thing. Yeah. Back in the 90s, sushi was like the emo, maybe the emo goth punk. <laughs> we're eating sushi. And then we're going to watch some anime afterwards. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I feel like for me, it's sushi is one thing that when I eat it, I'm talking about nigiri, just the straight up fish on rice. When I eat it, I close my eyes and I want time to stop. And I want it to be the only thing happening at that moment. It's honestly more, it, it puts me in the moment more than maybe anything in my life, which is, which is crazy. And, so and I'm just cool. admitting that, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe so more than good. music. Um, just in terms of, like, being in that present moment and really wanting, to like, that moment to last. Um, sorry, Everly and Dashiell. No. <laughs> 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 like, being with, like, being with my children is the thing that, you know, I, uh, yeah, everybody's going to want to say, like, Oh, being being in the best relationship totally. is the thing that. What's the right uh, answer? To this <laughs> question? Right. Yeah. Uh, seriously, man, when I eat a bite of raw fish on top of rice, I am transported, and but I push that down. Whenever I talk to people about sushi, and people say like, "Oh, I like sushi," and then I come to find out that they just really like rolls, and that's totally fine. I got nothing. Rolls are great. I love rolls too, but I find that I'm constantly like going, oh yeah, 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 cool. And and I like it too, yeah, but never fully embracing or wanting to. No, you don't understand. Yeah, I, maybe it's because I have some level. Yeah, I, th- I think it's because I have some level, hopefully, of like social tact and, you know, that nobody. Meeting someone on their level. <laughs> <laughs> like, like no one actually wants to know how much I love sushi, but uh, I don't know. I think, I think I've been... I do. I think life can be found in sushi. I think that's, I mean... <laughs> I think you're right, I'm always actually. thinking, I'm, I'm always insecure about thinking, overthinking things, as yeah. Sarah says. But like, I think like that is such like an, an, a life analogy. I don't know. There's nothing more 
important than being in the moment. Like I think a sushi. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to think while you're saying this why that is. What makes nigiri? Because I don't have the level of nerding out that you've gone into mm-hmm. it, but I feel like I'm on a level of appreciation at least mm-hmm. yeah. with it. Where mm-hmm. my I love it, and I wonder if it's because that is something that you've nerded out over, sans ego. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing involved. Like okay. There's nothing you have to do. You just have to bring yourself to the yeah, sushi. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really good point. Like, you can just be... Nothing you've ever done matters. Yep. You're just here, and the fact that you're here eating this sushi is good. Yeah. And that is the point And I'm all. not thinking about how it's going to impact my career. No. No. <laughs> oh, then maybe I retract my statement that maybe maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't give up music to eat sushi professionally. Maybe it would ruin sushi. It's, this conversation is so interesting how it just naturally goes. And talk with you of like influencers and legitimizing. Yeah. Like who legitimizes something? Yep. It's all relative. Because yeah, it it's is. like if you respect someone and they say it, then to you it's legitimate. So why don't we just embrace something? Yeah. And maybe you'll make it legitimate to someone else that yep. was is like waiting for you to give them permission. Yeah. There's a lot of time spent trying to do the right thing oh, and trying to be the cool on. guy, you know. Dude, I think years uh, wasted. Yeah, I know. I think um, um yeah. you ask like what I was just thinking about that, like what makes a legitimizer? I think for me what it is is it's like an unashamed enthusiasm mm. combined with a taste, like an aesthetic and a taste that I in some way gravitate toward then with freaky talent. So that's like, if those things are combined, like you have to be really good. Like if you are really passionate about uh, ponytails, and I'm thinking of an artist in particular who plays drums and I don't know the dude's name. Um, I wish I could remember it off the top of my head. But if you like, no man, I'm gonna wear this ponytail. Uh, you better like, be the best damn drummer yeah, I've ever seen. Right. Yes. And then it makes the ponytail cool. So there's a dude. Oh, and the bass player is a guy that used to live here who played in the Bill Mike band, Chris just, Morrissey. So Chris oh, Morrissey yeah, yeah. plays with this guy. He's out in New York. He plays. He plays drums. It's awful. I can't remember his name, but he plays drums and he plays like oh, keys dude. maybe at yes, the same and he, time. Yes, he was in town like a week ago. Yes, or he was like at that. Ice House. I think. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Stud. I can't think of his name either. Yeah, ponytail. Um, but he's awesome. And he rocks and a ponytail. And he boys a ponytail. And so then. Also, he's got a ponytail. <laughs> yeah. Also, hey, did you know yeah. he has a ponytail? Yeah. So, okay. So that's a great example of like, here, here is someone who aesthetically mm-hmm. is a little bit outside of what I deem mm-hmm. like acceptable yeah. in 2017 yeah. but that dude doesn't care and he's so good that it makes the ponytail rad mm-hmm. the ponytail's mm-hmm. rad I want a yeah. ponytail now man totally. I'm gonna no. yeah. you know like that I think it's the combo of those of those things like you have to be really talented yes and then you have to be unashamed yes and you have to not care about what the dude says about your ponytail yeah and, well, Who here, cares? Herein lies the problem, though. It, the, the dangerous with that comes when everybody sees the ponytail <laughs> and the yeah. cool playing, and they get the ponytail. 
and they don't have the cool playing. Right. So and so they don't realize what they're doing to themselves. And I feel like I've done that. I've like so many times in my life. How often am I growing the ponytail and not having the playing? You know what I mean? The playing to back it up. Totally. I don't or anything. Whatever it is. Or like the confidence. That's great. Or whatever. That's great. That's great. You know, yeah. and like the to me, like you being awesome, like that could be not just his playing, but like the awesomeness and the talent that you're talking about could be confidence. Yeah. So if you're like your talent, uh, it could be that could to me be like badassness. Yeah. Where you're just like, yeah, I got the damn ponytail. Yeah. I think it looks awesome. Right. Uh, that could be a thing that legitimizes it too. That's like confidence. Yeah, this guy makes it yeah. confidence because behind. fashion. I mean, fashion is just about balls. Good. That's point. all it yeah. is. Yeah. <clears throat> or or confidence. Yeah. But it's just about it's just about the wherewithal to say yeah. I'm doing this. Yes. And I think you can say that about music too. It's just about putting something out that you yeah, believe man. in and not caring about the trends or the radio or um, at least at least from an art perspective, from like a avant-garde or art perspective, it's just about confidence, it's about confidence and talent. And a gr- man, a great example of that in my life is, is Mike Michael, mm. who was in the Bill Mike band. He was in a band called Iffy. He is a phenomenal leader of like art and Mm. music in this town and he I got a chance to play with him because when Chris Morrissey moved to yeah yeah. Chris moved to New York I got a chance to play with him and Gould backing up Carnage Terrell Woods rapper in town who's phenomenal and I remember I was really in my zone of like play the right thing subtlety subtlety taste restraint those are the values right and i remember playing with him and then like he coaxing some things out of me that were more like of my youth and then he was like wait you you can do that yes. do that yes. or like i would i would do some like tapping figure as kind of a joke and he would say that's awesome like without a hint of irony like you have to do that yeah. And and playing with him has been this incredible like return to embracing some of that stuff for me. Yes. Like he said to me once and I will never forget it. He said to me, "Listen, when you play with me, I don't want you to be coffee shop guy. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to be eighth note put it in the pocket church guy. I want you to play like you're 17 again." Mm-hmm. And I was at the right place in my life for, for someone to say that to me really resonated with me. And you were open to it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like in my mid twenties, I wouldn't have been in the right place. Like I want to get away from 17, <laughs> yeah, you know, mid twenties, you're like, okay, that's great. Yeah. No, thank you. Right. But in my mid thirties, you know, like when I met Mike, I was ready mm. for a return to some kind of like unabashed, like unapologetic yes. youth yes. and creativity, mm. you know? And so he's like, listen, if we, if you, in the moment, feel it, mm-hmm. do it. Yes. And I just love him for it. I'll uh, never forget it because it it brought me back to appreciating some of those yeah. things that I had truly like stuffed away. Yes. You know. Totally. Man, that that's so great. That's so brilliant. Man, that makes me think. I mean, my my mantra right now with anything where people. If there's an opinion asked of me, well, what do you think? What what should we land on? What should, is it cool if I play this? The whole thing of 
man, what gets you most pumped right now? Yeah. Like, what would get you most pumped in this moment? Right. And do that. Like, quit thinking about anybody listening. Yeah. Because it's only when you do something. I think that's that's just art, maybe. Yeah. Or especially music. Yeah. Just do something that makes you so pumped. Yeah. You don't care if anybody else likes it. That's the only thing other people like. Right. And that's awesome. I mean, man, the MD thing is like a whole nother cheese like well, whole another yeah. discussion it's not a whole nother discussion I'm, I'm just saying no, yeah. I could talk about it forever totally because I feel like I'm always doing it wrong <laughs> I feel so every funny. time you feel like you dude always every time every, I'm oh on a weekend or, a, or or doing it with anybody I feel like I come away from it and have screwed it up oh that's so funny <clears throat> so for me like because I feel that way, do you? but you shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I Anybody feel that can, way, for sure. I don't feel like I have the answer or that I'm the best at it. I feel like every single time I do it, I drive home and I go, like I have something that I said or did or that I am like, I want to like pull the covers up <laughs> over my head at night. Illuminating. Like, yeah. You know? Um, so, so like you saying... Hey, in this moment, what's going to get you most pumped? I never do that. Like, that's a really great idea. I'm always, I'm always like, what's going to be the best thing for the song? And if you have an idea that my deal is like, is like, make sure that the thing you're doing is not arising out of boredom. Make sure that the pumped Mm -hmm. aspect is only arising because you want to contribute to the moment and the song and the like lift of the musical situation versus mm-hmm. I've played this song a hundred times and I'm bored. So now I need to do something that's going to be exciting to, to only me. Your, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that I'm, I'm really sensitive to that stuff and probably mm-hmm. overly so it, because it, it damages my playfulness. Like I'm not very playful. I'm more like hawkish like mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like watching and yes. like and, I, and I'm never going to call somebody out for having fun or being but I will call somebody out for being selfish <laughs> yeah. or 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 potentially ruining a musical moment with an idea that they think is fun because they're bored yeah man everything you're saying it totally ties in everything we're talking about because yeah. it all comes down to ego. Yeah, right. Like it, whether you do the fill because you're bored and so your ego says, well, I my being entertained right now is more important yeah, than yeah, the betterment yeah. of everybody. Yeah. Or look at me. Whatever it is that yeah. does that is only, I only say the ego as like the thing to, yeah. because as far as we can distance ourselves from yeah. that in, in artistic moments sure. sometimes. And man, if you think about the best musical experiences of your life, like you got, you guys played Fuji Rock and stuff. Like if you, I mean, I don't know that those were the, but like if you think about shows that you've played or even, or even sessions or whatever, I I can't say this for you. I'll put it back to me. If I think about the best moments, musical moments of my life, it has never been from something creative that I've played. It's been about the interaction between the audience and the band and an energy cycle that has revved up the experience and then you're truly in the moment you haven't premeditated a solo or a fill that you're going to play and you're responding in the moment and you're feeding off of an energy of the band and of the crowd for me like that is 
it. Totally. And so it's like to have that and to think about like how to get that in your life and how to experience that more mm-hmm. is really compelling to me versus like, oh, I've played this a lot and let's try a different arrangement of it because it's boring or like, no, like I feel like maybe the right call is like, hey, what is going to hit hardest in the, in the auditorium? That's, I think it's a double-edged sword because it, yeah. it removes, um, maybe removes some fun or some playful from the whole process. Yeah, unless you take joy in intentionality. Yeah, right. Like if you can see the joy and I mean, you, that's something I thought of from you when we talk about like uh, simplicity, air quotes, simplicity. Yeah. Your thing back in the day was like, okay, I mean, I ha- I'm playing whole notes here. Yep. But like if I'm just like bored and looking around, that's one thing and it's boring. Right. It's simple. But if I'm here and I'm thinking, how intentional can I be about landing where these yeah, eighth notes yeah, yeah, land? Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you can find joy in that yes. beautiful simplicity, I mean, it's fish. It's cutting a freaking slab of fish and slapping it over some heated up rice. Yeah, right, right, right. Yep, right. But each one of those grains of rice is intentional. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, like right. that, just knowing the intentionality behind that nigiri. Yep. Yes. is what makes that it's so joyful. I, I appreciate before I even put it in my mouth. Yeah. I'm appreciating yeah, ho- that how piece it was of prepared and how yes. it was yeah, for sure. And maybe maybe that grocery store box like you'll, you you you'll dig into that totally. maybe you know if you're hungry and it's there but like but the intentionality behind someone who's yeah. really who's really yeah. put the, you know who's really has craft involved yeah, it's yeah, pretty man. special. Um, okay. Here quick thing before we wrap up yeah, I want to be sure. respectful of your time yeah, so here to wrap back your story about prog rock yeah that to you is Christian music to me uh, where I yeah, was yeah. when I was in high school right when I was coming into the awareness like right at the age where you start realizing that music just doesn't appear it's yes. there's humans creating yes. it when yeah. I started having that awareness when I was younger was about the time my parents who uh started going to this uh, Pentecostal church, yep. went through the whole burn your secular albums. Yes, sure. Get rid of all of them. Yes. So I remember literally, I remember one day Michael Jackson's first pressing of Bad. In was the fire. In the fire, like gone, in the trash. Yeah, yeah that right. got rid of everything, or like all this, right. just there one day, not there. So my only thing, unless I snuck it, which was Incubus, that I would sneak yeah, or whatever. Yeah, sure. Ooh. Would, ooh, Incubus. <laughs> so then I just grew to love what was around me, and that was Michael W. Smith and Stephen Chris Chapman. Yeah, are there, those two guys are like those. Yeah. That's the reason why. Yeah. I like did music, being younger. That's that's cool. Well, and it's also sad. That was cool. It's sad, <laughs> but it's cool. So the reason I bring this up, this story is, um, I had that, and I remember the albums I listened to of that Christian music and then I got to this other section like you did when you're like early 20s or whatever yep. whatever time it is yep. that you start thinking no that's not cool that's crap I'm gonna put that outside I'm yep. gonna forget about it right? right and then you go through that phase of life and then you get to when you're older and you have the uh, the looking back no no play that that's actually cool like yeah. what like looking at it at a healthy perspective right. of saying okay yeah there's a lot of cheesiness here a lot of right. stuff I don't I wouldn't sure. embrace but within that, there's a lot of cool stuff. For sure. And I feel like a year or two ago, I had that where I was like, oh man, I'm going to go back and listen to like these old uh, Stephen Chris Chapman albums. Sure. And then I started looking at the discography, and on these old Christian albums, the old in the 90s, yeah, late 80s, sure. 
are like heavy hitting yeah, Nashville players. Of course, yeah. And I threw on for the first time these albums and my jaw almost dropped. Like I'm sitting, Sarah's asking me, what are you listening to? I'm like, I'm listening to Stephen Chris Chapman. And, <laughs> and this, this Lee Scalar <laughs> yeah. is playing on this tune and it is like the tone that yeah. is what everything I want to be as yeah, a player. Sure, sure. And like that, like that awareness coming mm. out the other side. So if I think about you, you're such an influencer. When you say stuff, always it has weight with people. I get to see that from the outside mm. a little bit. And it's cool seeing that. And I try to think of the people who you influence and the age. And it's always, if you're influencing people, it's typically people coming up behind you. Yep. And I could see a lot of them being in that um, that season of life that's still stuck in that, oh, that's not cool. Sure. Or maybe they're about to come into that third phase of like, grasping okay what was cool about the yeah. original things yes if you had a piece of advice for yourself yes when you, like right before you came out of that second phase if that yeah. makes sense mm-hmm. what would you tell someone that's stuck in that if you had or your, what would you tell yourself right um that's a great question i think i would i think i would say i think i would talk about context uh, and relating to back to something that you said about like you know, a vampire weekend tune comes on in a coffee shop and like, you know, you're like, would I choose to put this on like when I'm driving or maybe not, but it's great here. I think especially stuff that you've come up with that then has sort of socially a negative connotation, prog rock, CCM music. Um, you have to, I think, embrace the right music for the right context. So I've always talked about like when I had my first child um my daughter everly who's now five when she was little we would put her to bed with this these hushabye baby cds and they'd be like plinking like uh music box yes of of maybe of artists or of yeah so there's like a radiohead one <laughs> you know and there's like a metallica one and really uh, yeah there's all you know there's and and you would never put that on at a party (laughs) or in your car ever Mm. but to put your daughter to sleep it Mm. is the perfect thing so so if you take that to prog rock is it the thing that I am going to listen to now all the time no but it's the thing you know what it is it's the thing that I'm going to play for my kids when they're 8 to Mm. 15 if they have some kind of excitement about music because it got me really excited about mm-hmm. music. So it's maybe a kindling context. Uh, yeah. And, and I also, so, and then if you look at worship music, I know that there are a lot of people that just jam KTIS and crank up the new whatever, mm-hmm. you know, Hillsong record in their car. That's great. That's not me. I didn't yeah. grow up with it. I don't view it in that way. I view it as the perfect music to play for a group of people that have come to church to have a togetherness moment with other humans and with God. It's the perfect music to play. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, because it's it's mm. arena rock for people to to sing the things that they want to declare together. And there's no better context for it than at a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you take it outside of the context, and that's when people start to say, oh, like, divorced from its context, it seems a little strange. Mm-hmm. Just like Hushabai Baby, divorced from its context, yes. would seem a little bit strange. Yeah. Right? So, so the thing I think I would 
I've been thinking about this too in terms of like likes and dislikes. Well, I like this kind of music and I don't like this kind of music, or I like this music and I don't like th this particular yeah. artist or whatever. Like, I don't think that you should listen to music in terms of only aesthetically, only with aesthetics in mind, only with likes and dislikes. Yeah. I think you should um, consume music as texts yes. sometimes, as saying, okay, I don't particularly dig the bro country K102 Nashville thing, but uh, why not? Why don't I? And maybe dig, dig into that a little yes. bit. And like, why, why don't I? And there are a lot of people that do, and that really resonates. And yeah. I bet you put on that K102, man, you start listening to some of those country hooks. Yeah. I bet there's going to be some stuff that comes out that if you are honest with yourself, you say, all right, the context is a little off because I'm not in the South. I didn't grow up this way. Yeah. But I get it. I get that that's a compelling lyric. I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, if you just decide not to be too cool for school, yeah. like if you can look past yourself and your own aesthetic likes and dislikes, look at what other people like yes. and then, and then say, Oh sure. I get that. Yeah. And then if you have some level of freaking empathy yes. in your life, you may be able to say, Oh yeah. From that perspective, I get oh. it. And it, it might help yes. you access it in a healthy way. Because if you, maybe if you found yourself in a pickup truck in the middle of nowhere down south yeah you that's the right thing to be playing on the yeah radio too. and i it mean might you know feel right even yeah. though you don't like it and like every fiber of my like yankee heart is screaming no i would never but of yeah. course man you come up that way absolutely like it would be your it would be your context yeah. you can't deny that stuff yeah. yes so i don't know i think i would say don't write off humans or music or art yes. based on your aesthetic. Mm. Like, and even based on your past, if you can find a way to embrace the things that you're embarrassed about with your past, like, and a lot of it's about processing it, talking to other people that maybe went through some of the same stuff mm -hmm. and, and laughing about it and coming to like a healthy place of sort of like levity mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. There, it, it's, it's fodder for, everything you can write about it you can do a stand-up routine about it you can totally. you know what i mean like it becomes then really endearing yes if you can come back to it with some kind of like perspective yes so yeah that's so good oh dude that is so heavy and deep <laughs> oh, man. man i've been doing a lot of uh Beer, like I'm sitting sitting down with friends with like beer, like Belgian beer. Yeah, I love or scotch. Yes, yes. Sitting down with friends, and my first thing is to say if I'm teaching someone that isn't used to either like a scotch or something sure. in, important yes. is to say, ask the right questions. Don't ask, do you I like it or not? Yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, not yeah. your vocabulary right. right now. What are you tasting? Yeah, right. What are you hearing? Yeah. What are you? What is? Why is this person the way they yes. are with all this? Man, that's so good. That's so good. The food thing, like tasting something and like, oh, do you notice this? What do you, yes. you know, like versus like when I struggle, when I listen to old Bob Dylan records that they're not perfectly in time because I have this weird like metronomic value mm -hmm. that's not everybody's value. Yeah. And coming to terms with like, man, it's actually a hip in this context when it's a little out, when they're not all yeah, gritted man. up, you know, like. Yes. So yeah what are you noticing and how does it like if you're tasting something and you're like ooh this tastes like earth 
And is that a bad thing? Is it a yes. good thing? Well, if it's a bad thing, why is it? Like, is yes. it, but is it interesting? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't don't like it, quote yes. unquote, is it is it interesting to yes. you? Does it compel you forward to maybe take another sip or yes. you know, listen to another tune or something? Totally. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, dude. Okay. This ruled. <laughs> man. <laughs> it really did. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Rob here. Quick thing before we move on, here's the deal. If you are listening on your iPhone or if you're listening while you're driving to work, pause the podcast right here until you get home, until you're able to pull out some headphones. If you're a musician, pull out your in-ears and plug in from here on out. Here's the deal why. I was chatting with Ian. We finished our conversation. We polished off our coffee, and I was tearing down the mics, and Ian got into a great story of an interaction with him and a songwriter named Dan Wilson. The story was so awesome, I had him stop telling me, and I pulled back out the recording device, and instead of using uh, the mics that I normally record our conversations on, all I had out at that moment was a surround sound mic. So if you pause it right here and throw in maybe your in-ears, something good quality audio listening, it's going to feel like you're right there with us uh, as opposed to the clarity and the EQ is not like our normal listening that sounds great in a car stereo. Also... Right after this story, I'm going to be playing Ian Allison recording with Verscazzi, Joey Verscazzi, Minneapolis local musician, a track called Sleepless One. You're going to want to have your your ears in, your, uh, your headphones in for this. It's going to sound better. So pause it right here. Did you pause it? Great. Have we picked it up? Are your inners in? Are you, are you, do, you have, do you have studio cans, studio monitors listening right now? I'm going to give you one more second to do that. All right, here we go. Ian's story about his interaction with Dan Wilson. You got it? You got it going? Did you feel even more uncomfortable when this pointed to No, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Um, When I was, in 2014, I was out on the road a lot with Jeremy Messersmith. And he's really good friends with Dan Wilson. Um, And Dan Wilson, you know, in Semisonic, before that trip Shakespeare, and now he's like Mr co-write Mr. Songwriter Adele uh, Brooke Frazier I mean all, so so many people uh, Fantagram and so with Dan Wilson? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. oh Dan Wilson Dan Wilson co-wrote um, Someone Like You Adele it's insane he's, he's, he's a he's a phenomenal like writing and creative force yes. and he's really intimidating to me um, and I love him and so we got a chance to have breakfast with him uh and we were in L.A. having breakfast. And Jeremy had been doing all this co-writing uh, as per his, like, record label was getting him with other people to write and, you know, just to see what sprung up. And Jeremy had a few stories, like, really funny anecdotes of, like, writing with people where he kind of considered them to maybe be, like, bad songwriters or have, like, weird ideas or it just wasn't grooving in, in his eyes. And, and this is no shade towards Jeremy, but he just didn't feel like they had it. And so we were talking to Dan Wilson about this. Ha ha ha, all these crappy songwriters out there, Dan, right? Like, Dan, you write with all these people, man. You've got to have story after story of of crappy, crappy songs and crazy scenarios. And he sat in silence for like a long time and then said, you know, I don't know, not really. 
And Jeremy said, come on, Dan. Like, you got to have... And he's like, well, no. He's like, I'm trying to think. He goes, honestly, I guess when I feel like there's something that's, you know, bad or not working, I always think that it's my fault. It's like, I always think that I just don't get it. And I, and we all just sat there with like humongous eyes. And he said, because like, I feel like at the point that I'm in the room with them and they're a writer, they're going to have good ideas. And I don't presume that my thing is the best. So if I think it's bad, I just honestly always feel like I don't get it. And I about died. I about hit the floor. I mean, that is incredible. Because the ego is always this defense mechanism. You hear something that is that doesn't line up with your aesthetic and you immediately go, that sucks. Yes. That's bad. Totally. I got it. Yep. You don't got it. <laughs> you don't get it. You obviously don't have it. You don't have it. And you're not doing what I think, so you obviously yes. don't have it. Yeah. And Dan instead just oh. tends to think that he needs to work harder to understand what they're doing. And that dude, that is what separates guys like him from guys like me. <laughs> and, and a lot of other things, a lot of talent and a lot. But I mean like his openness and ability to to take in things that are are maybe not just right in his wheelhouse seemed to me to be pretty incredible. I mean, it would have been really easy to, I think, for him to sort of see where that was in that social setting and kind of answer with like a little, I'm sure he's had a couple of weird yeah. encounters, but he didn't. He kind of took a high road and I was sort of, I was sort of like, I don't know, I was actually like really blown away by it. And whether or not it's true <laughs> at all times for Dan Wilson, it's something really to consider. It's, it changed my life. Like, so, when I used to be a real, a real judgmental, like, it, in a musical context, someone would have an idea, and I would immediately think, like, yep, that's cool, or nope, that's not cool. And I'd be pretty fast to point it out. And then I think, I mean, getting older, and but whatever, that conversation with Dan, I went, oh man, I am, I am the opposite of Dan. I judge things right now. And, and I bet if I just shut up for a minute, and let the idea roll, even if I even if I was fighting it with every fiber. Like, what if it turned into something cool and it changed my perspective about writing and music and song craft? How cool would that be? What an opportunity that might be. So, in terms of collaboration, Dan has a lot of really good... He collaborates with the best people in the world. And he has a thing, too, around, you know, like, saying the word no. But saying the word no in a collaboration is never useful. Like that saying, that saying, what about, what if, how about, have you thought about, those types of things are so much more helpful because it doesn't shut down the person's vulnerability and, and you have to be vulnerable to enable the best like creative ideas to come out. So if you go, no, no, that's not, people go immediately, are like, like walls start to, you know, pop up. Yeah. Yeah, like making decisions about production probably or about, you know, like song form. Like as an MD, I think you can't just consider everything is great. And maybe I just don't get it. No, because you've got to make decisions. Yeah. But in terms of a, a, a serious collaboration, you have to take the time to explore.